DLC. Yeah, there it is. When that robot voice popped in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in. DLC. Especially if you are one of our geeks and stinks. Power you through a workout or a run, or even if you're just commuting or you're rooting tooting, whatever you're tooting, we're gonna be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness. I cracked myself up because DLC <laughs> is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free. Thanks to our patrons over at patreon.com slash DLC pod. They bring the show to you. Their generosity, their support ensures that our show can continue. Oh my goodness. We are so grateful to our patrons. We'd love for you to be one. If you decide you find value in our show and you would like to see it continue, you can get cool stuff in return. You can get ad-free episodes and video versions of the show, although not this week, and an entire bonus show we call Paid DLC. It's a ton of fun. It features Lana Bashinsky alongside myself and Christian Spicer, and uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy chaos that uh, bubbles forth every, every Wednesday. Um, what did we talk about this week? It, it's a scary, spooky stuff, I think, was uh, last week's topic it's it's so much fun the patrons love it and you can be one by signing up at patreon.com slash dlc pod dlc this show of course is the show all about games in their many forms games played on desktops laptops and consoles also games that involve dice luck and cardboard i am your host jeff canada that's spelled with two n's and one t and i am joined as always by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis the guy i call when I hear a sound I can't explain. Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hello, everybody. And in addition to paid DLC, this Friday starts uh, another bonus show to patrons. Again, patreon.com slash DLC pod. We're calling Feeling This, that our conversations Alex Solman and I had about the feels feelings of specific games and genres we talk about doom we talk about old school brawlers um driving games alex has been on the show friend of the show and an awesome developer as well and we dive into what makes games feel good so starting on fridays season one of that begins so feeling this fridays if you will um coming to patrons uh, as more good stuff that folks can get by supporting the show amazing amazing you never know what you might get by doing uh, doing us a solid and supporting the show of course we'd never want anyone to support the show if it puts you in any form of financial hardship but you can support the show for free by posting a review uh, giving us five stars on whatever platform you download the show on or even better just tell a friend tell a friend suggest the show to someone else we appreciate that as well. But we got we got a big show for you today. We got tons of games to talk about. Dude, In fact, so much. <laughs> so much so stuff much. to talk about. We got one of the one of my most anticipated games of the remaining part of the year. We're gonna get gonna get an early preview of because we have an awesome guest joining us here on the show. You know the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian, but this week, oh, I'm excited because DLC stands for 
dominant leader of coverage <laughs> because we have self-described number one games journalist and our friend <laughs> back with us imran khan is here hey imran hey hi how you guys doing doing great how are you doing doing well uh not self-described to be fair the i i won that in kind of funny wrestling <laughs> There you go. By pinning Jeff Grubb with an RKO. So I I am officially, and I've never wrestled again since then, so I can't lose it. Retired undefeated. Yeah, the number one game journalist. Well, pardon me for not attributing it correctly, because that that <laughs> is uh, that is uh, objectively your title now and forevermore. Uh, yes. Congratulations. We're happy to have you. It's all, always no, awesome on, to chat with you. Hold on, hold on, real quick. Eat it, Grubb. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is the thing that I love just making fun of Jeff Grubb for. Like, and honestly, more people should make fun of Jeff Grubb. But like, whenever it is a, it, whenever I have to tag Jeff Grubb in something, I refer to him as, as the number three game journalist. And I think like we did a podcast a couple of months ago back when, you know, I had a job and we, <laughs> I referred, I told him like, hey, you should put that into your Twitter profile. And he said, okay, sir. And then just did it. So I hold that power over him for now until whenever i suppose that's amazing forever because like you said you never go back right like once you're done it's like you're not trying to tom brady and get it again you you did it you're done and you just forever talk smack it's yeah (laughs) it's like how when you become president your name is mr president for the rest of your life (laughs) (laughs) there's that uh i don't want to spoil uh one of my favorite shows of the year but there's that wonderful show on uh on the paramount plus called players i don't know if you watched that imran but uh it was was about um esports and one of the characters in the in that esports game starts a brand called uh, Never Never Lost, I think, <laughs> and it's because he retires right before they can lose any games. So like during the first match that they're in, he, he retires and he's and he and he, he never lost. He's like, I never lost, and he becomes this big brand. It's very funny. Yeah, that's kind of what, how I when we had Game Informer show, there was a like back of the box trivia where you guess a game based on what a description on the back of the box. I was on one episode of that. And then I got laid off after that. So technically, I am undefeated at Back of the Box Trivia. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and, you know, Jeff Grubb moved away from Denver right after I moved here. So, I, yeah, you know, seems personal. I, he broke my heart. He broke my heart. Um, well, he's, he's Denver's number one game journalist. So that's why he left. And then you got there. And, and he forever has the title because he left. You can't mm. challenge him for I think it. I, you know? I think it pa- gets passed down to me. I, I hope. <laughs> I don't know. Who else lives here? Um, all right. Well, we got, we got tons to get to, fellas. So let's, uh, let's get to the meat of things and start the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also send comments or questions, parting gifts, whatever you like. We love hearing from you at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also participate in one of our communities. We have a Discord that is called 5x5DLC. You can hang out there. Or you can visit and, hey, or, and you could visit our subreddit, which is also 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Great folks hanging out in both places. We love chatting with them. But Imran, you are our guest. So you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Uh, I suppose it's uh, fresh now. So why don't we talk a little bit about the uh, the G4 yeah, closing Yeah, the G4 today. of it all. Yes. 
Yes, I'm, I'm sure this is uh, this is something that you have uh, dealt with firsthand in mm. a very similar situation. Uh, but we got news um, literally just a couple of hours before we record here uh, Sunday evening on what is it, the 16th tonight, uh, October 16th. Um, Comcast is pulling the plug on the uh, the reborn G4 TV, which has only been existence in existence uh, in this new form uh, for about a year. Uh, obviously, G4 TV was a big deal uh, when, when you know, what, 20 years ago, um, when it was really the only place you could get video game type coverage uh, daily or uh, frequently. Um, I worked for G4 uh, several times uh, for long periods. Um, uh, Imran, I'm sure you have, um, you know, having just gone through this, um, you know, sort of uh, lo- large numbers of people losing jobs very abruptly it doesn't sound like folks got a lot of uh, heads up on this happening yeah what's, I, what's your take there were there were tweets from uh people saying hey i found out from tweets about this thing that i lost my job so it like for it to happen on a sunday is just absurd like this is there's there's never a good way to lay people off but there's yeah. like better and worse ways. And this is one of the worst ways of just saying effective immediately, we're done. And I, there's going to be a lot of people who are like, not necessarily t- tutting, but talking about how I, this is fairly predictable that it was, it was kind of unclear what G4 was doing and they're not wrong, but it's, it's such a, what an awful way for a company to swoop in and show that they don't care about anyone who got them to that point. And mm-hmm. to say that we were just, we're done. This is not profitable. Sorry, we're good. And for people to have to learn, they don't know what's happening tomorrow. They don't know how, like, are they having a conversation with HR? Are they getting severance checks in the mail? Or Like, I, as somebody who literally just went through this, that at least I knew what my next week looked like. Mm-hmm. This, this is a, like... I've signed non-disparagement agreements at this point. So any company I refer to at this point is a totally hypothetical company or one I did not work for. But man, these corporations are just complete assholes in the way they treat their people. And I cannot believe at this point in this in the year 2022 when this is so easy to spread on the internet and for people to like immediately see what a shitty PR move this is to do it this way, that companies are still working this way where they will – Uh, either drag this out or cut it abruptly in a point where they don't think it matters to them. Like at least for the, the PR perspective, let people come in on Monday and talk to them about it first. Don't let, don't let it literally be a thing on Twitter. But again, I'm not shocked by the closure or the fact that they did it this way, but I'm incredibly disappointed by it. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, it, it is, it is, um, baffling to me why these things seem to be reported in the press before it seems that the people who are most affected are even aware of it. That just seems like the worst possible way to handle those kinds of situations. And it it doesn't make any sense. It just, it just reeks of cowardice, but Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know the details. I don't know how that all went down. I'm not privy to any of that, but certainly um, if it is, as it appears, it really does feel like a craven way to, to, to handle that and 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 not not one that does any service to the folks that have uh, been working there for for a year now. Yeah. Um, obviously, hey. go ahead, Christian. Jeff, ch- check check your phone. I don't know if you've checked your. I know you've been talking. I wanted to make sure you didn't 
talk too much before you just checked your phone. <laughs> Christian just fired me from DLC via text. <laughs> <laughs> I got a text here that says you are fired from DLC. <laughs> Christian I wanted to make sure I wanted to make sure you saw that before you talked too much more. So uh-huh. I wanted to hear it from me as, you know, as I was listening to this story, I was like, oh, yeah, I tweeted it already, but I don't know if Jess saw that. So I wanted to let you know. Christian, um, drunk with fictional power. Uh, I, I found out, I mean, if we get back in like me for a second, like I found out through a reset era thread that I got laid off. Yeah, oh, man, it's so like, brutal. You were it's abroad, brutal. right? Yeah, I was uh, in Tokyo and the time difference obviously was, <sighs> I was asleep. So I woke up and I found a, I got a text on my phone from my partner, Rebecca, who was at a Ubisoft event at the time saying, hey, I'm so sorry. Please call me if you need to talk. Oh, man. And I didn't know what that meant at all. So I start like – because I've been walking in Tokyo, I'm like, I'm just going to take a bath and like my legs hurt. I'm going to soak in the bath for a bit. And as I was like letting the bath water run, it's like, huh. Why why is there a thread on Reset Era oh, saying they're layoffs of fanbite? And I like scroll through there <sighs> and I see a a tweet from my colleague Merrick Kay saying, Oh, we just lost our news editor. And like there's been I've been through the layoff circuit a couple of times. This was a bad way to do it, where they just like other people knew before I did. It's unbelievable. And, yeah, it's so like I I've been thinking about this for a bit of what's happening to games media right now i was thinking about this before all this stuff happened but it it has been on my mind obviously the last couple of weeks for sure and i think what most companies want to do now is they want to build this i guess like a framework of a site and then only pay like three or four people actual living salaries to do it Mm -hmm. and then fill it up with freelancers who do like I'm not going to say like bad guides, but there are, there are sites that do bad guides and like they want guides that like will be on Google and that will be, get those clicks and make money that way. And then that's it. They don't want to worry about paying anyone a market rate salary or anything like that. Yeah. And I think I, I don't think people realize outside the gaming journalism like bubble that there is kind of a war for the soul of what that good gaming journalism is right now because there are sites that are willing to go we want to become better bigger and pay our people well and there are sites that are going oh we don't want any of that we don't want anything that looks like paying people well and like when i look at g4 which was paying people very well i like from what i have seen of that and mm-hmm. was i think the they're paying people or not they were paying into their studio a little too much they were paying yeah. like like I, I saw their studio space. Like it was very impressive. It was like millions of dollars being poured into that thing, and I don't think the executives thought about okay, what does the the day two story of this look like? What does the week two, the month twelve story look like? And they seemingly just thought if we just turn on G four again, then people will come, right? And I I think there is absolutely an argument that good good products will bring in an audience. But everyone wants that in year one or year two, and they, I don't think that's ever like likely or possible. And basically, my entreatment to the audience or whoever is listening is: if you like good game journalism, if you like, if you hate the fact that when you click on Google for a question about a game and it says like well, it just repeats your question ten times for the first five paragraphs, <laughs> then like you should support good game journalism. It's just very hard to make that argument when no one's ever like the corporations that need to put in that are that put in that initial investment like aren't giving it time to thrive. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 particularly stark. Uh, the same week that we saw our friends over at Kind of Funny debut their new studio, and uh, they seem to be um, doing a lot of things very very right uh, over there. I mean, obviously that's a a different model, right? That is that's Patreon funded and and uh, direct uh, you know direct to an audience. But un- unfortunately, that's that's kind of where a lot of these folks uh, are having to turn. Uh, yeah. you know, us included. We're you know just got done talking about our Patreon in the intro to this podcast. Um, and, you know, you you have contextualized this, I think, very well. And uh, I don't mean to uh, contradict any of that because I think all of the points that you've made are are very valid. But I think layered on top of that is also that G4 as an idea feels a bit outdated, right? Yeah. It's, it's, you know, the, it, it it's an odd thing to try to create that old model uh, now because folks like kind of funny and so many others are doing it uh, very much, uh, you know, tailor made for what works now. Uh, And, um, you know, I I have, we have lots of friends over there. You know, Adam is a great friend of the show. We have lots of friends that were working at G4 and um, it makes me sad uh, that any of them are, are out of an opportunity and out of work. But um, I also, you know, I don't know. They were spending a lot of money. They were spending a lot of money. Yeah. And, I, and I don't know if that money was represented on screen. I mean, I, I didn't watch a ton of it, so I can't even really judge. But, um, th- you know, there's reports now on Twitter. Who knows what you can believe? But there are reports that they were paying, you know, some influencers like thirty five to forty thousand dollars a day. Um, you know, their day rates were thirty five thousand to forty thousand. Uh, just to make an appearance. And, um, you know, that makes me think I got to raise my day rate. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, um, it, it is unsustainable what they were like, tr- how they were trying to do that. And I understand why they were doing that because they were trying to, they were trying to emulate G4. They were trying right. to make like the play for this is their streamers and there's like the kind of funnies and the the giant bomb stuff like that. What if we did all this with like an actual like budget and studio? But right. TV. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't, there's only so long you can do that without trying to figure out, okay, now what's the the long-term plan for this? And I don't, I think the talent there is incredible. I think the executive team did not do them well or did not serve them right by not having a long-term plan. And it seems like just before the 12 month mark, they were just like, okay, we're, there was no plan. We're not making any money. We're done. And they, they deserve to have that, on like from day one they deserve to have that plan in place like on a office whiteboard somewhere in that thing saying this is what we're doing this is what month 11 12 13 look like and they they were screwed in so many ways but they were especially screwed by the fact that they're the money people are so short-sighted with this when it comes to this stuff that i don't think i don't think the casual audience really understands the extent to which game good game content is always going to be on some kind of bubble. It's just a matter of like, are we talking about a personal bubble or like a corporate bubble or what? But it's mm-hmm. always it's always just like check to check for a lot of these outlets and sites. Yeah. Christian, you and I were uh, part of a, a company that spent a lot of money and then laid us off. Uh, what are your thoughts about this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'll avoid those specifics also because of contractual obligations. But if you mm. listen to the show enough, it's not hard to generalize uh, many, <laughs> many of those specifics. Um, I think 
this problem I fear is larger than just the games industry, much like maybe before with Gamergate, perhaps the games industry is the canary in the coal mine in some regard, where I think this problem is a larger media problem in the idea of media being or journalism, you know, however you want it, not media in terms of all broad entertainment, but kind of reporting and substantive news and information being a for-profit business skews what type of coverage you're going to get and what types of things you're going to have. There's an old Louis C.K. bit, who I know Louis has rightfully fallen out of favor, um, but he had an old bit where he talked about how we live in a click-based economy. And this was, you know, I think he did it like 2008, 2006, like a long time ago, and it felt very like ahead of its time. And, you know, Imran talked about the idea of these awful Google, these articles that you get through SEO search and it's, uh, when does Gotham Knights come out is the question that you're asking about Gotham Knights release date. The release date of Gotham Knights has been decided by publisher Warner Brothers about the game Gotham Knights. And it's re- and you're just like, oh, my God. And it's this chase to be that that Google hit. And I think you see that in a lot of uh, other types of uh, content as well. And there's a, I talked about the show probably numerous times on this, but another podcast, 99% Invisible, which I love with Roman Mm. Mars. And there's an episode called Search and Ye Might Find. And it talks about kind of the failures of search um, in many ways. And part of it is how Google, you know, initially created this really great search algorithm. And then as it became a business, it's purposefully wrong. Like it has to, you know, it has to surface not necessarily the correct search, but the advertised search or the algorithm search. And then the companies are going to try to beat the algorithm so that they, you know, get shown because that's how they make their money is off the click and the ad they serve. And it's this kind of cat and mouse game on top of the layer of, you know, Google also trying to make its money. And man, if these past few months haven't shown the havoc that it can bring to games media, if nothing else, I, I think is telling of a of a scary, of a scary world. As um, uh, I saw, I think it was on our Discord is where I first saw it, Jeff. But I think you tweeted it out as well, like the AI image renderings of like your face and a whole bunch of cool pictures. Yeah. So like we're in we're in a world of like AI can do podcasts between Joe Rogan and dead people generate any artistic version of an awesome headshot of anybody uh write plays uh deep fake videos and also we're all chasing the google algorithm to make sure our stuff is seen yeah and i don't know like what our children are going to do for a reliable source it's going to go back to you know prehistoric era of like if they didn't see it with their own two eyes and feel it with their own two hands i mean really see it in real time it's probably not real. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's wild how much like culture has changed. Like I'm, I'm 36 years old. In my in my life since the internet became a major thing, it has changed dramatically in the like the last like 25 years. And oh, yeah. I, I can't. I remember the life before the internet. I remember the olden times. But like, I think about just it. The it things went from I've made a GeoCities page that says Sephiroth is cool to like. I've made a a Twitter account that is like 
has to snort, or like read certain news so that the account doesn't get an algorithm based on what I want and start subscribing to people that like I don't want it to subscribe to because everything is always watching us and everyone's always trying to get me to pay for something. Yeah. And I I cannot believe like when you really sit down and think about it just even 10, 15 years from now, how different it's going to be. And like one day maybe I'll have kids and I'm going to have to like keep up on not just the way my life is changing, but the way their life is changing around them. And I don't know that – I don't know how any parent does it now. I don't know how any parent is going to do it in the future. Well, I can't recommend that. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, don't want, I don't want to give you life advice, but children can't recommend it uh, for that and many other reasons. But um, <laughs> the uh, the th- this absolutely – the thing you guys are talking about right now absolutely relates to the story that we're talking about because – it literally is a thing that was big 20 years ago, you know, and they're trying to recreate it now. And I think all the reasons and more uh, that we're talking about um, is, is an example of why it's difficult to reboot that kind of stuff. You know, it, it, G4, it was a thing uh, and it, it, maybe it could be a thing again, but it it felt like just trying to do G4 Redux you know, wasn't quite enough. And I don't, I don't know if that's the extent to what they were doing, but I think it really does speak to how much has changed over the interim when G4 wasn't around. But, you know, G4 was big in 2005, 2006, 2004. It's like the world has changed quite a lot in in that, in that time. The world Um, has changed dramatically since 2020. And like the idea of let's get a studio together of people is like very cool in, in on paper, but it feels like, why don't we give you guys some Elgato stuff and we run a stream network through our homes would have been the more like logistical play. Yeah. Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? Well, I I think you're going to choose what I honestly think is probably the biggest story of the week. So I'm going to leave that to you, my friend. And what I want to talk about, uh, as also a very big story, but perhaps not our typical content for this show um, is the stuff that came out of Minecraft Live 2022. Minecraft is still the game that will not quit. Um, huge, my, huge. My son is going to a Minecraft camp starting tomorrow morning. Hmm. So yeah, not quitting. No, yeah, definitely. Yeah, other. Not only is it making tons of money for Microsoft, tons of other people are making tons of money off of it as well. <laughs> you yeah. know, like camp or streamers, whatever. Right. Um, and so in uh, the kind of the annual showcase, I don't think I'm trying to think if they've missed one. I don't know, honestly. Um, and I'll just say usual showcase. They talk about big updates and things like that. And this year, I think there are two two big ones to kind of um, highlight. And I'll start with the perhaps lesser one, um, because I, I think it's really important as well. And the new update coming in expected early 2023, it doesn't have a name yet but they're going to add seven new default skins, which for a game that launched with, I believe, one and then expanded to two, I love seeing stuff like this, where more players can see more of themselves in what the game presents as default. And they're really trying to have the game lean more into self-expression with those skins, and then also adding additions for building into the world, hanging signs, which has been requested for a long time, as well as rafts. Um, And then I think bamboo wood, which I think bamboo had been in the game, but not as a wood set. But I think it's really important to see Sims. We've talked about those updates that have come out. 
in Sims 4, Sims 4, Sims 3, whatever the Sims is, that is still the same Sims, <laughs> but get, gets great updates over the years. Um, bringing this diversity as a default set is um, is, re- is really big and really important. And then the bigger, perhaps, thing um, is a new... Camels? A new, a new, new, a new, new action strategy game where um, you can... It, Minecraft Legends, yeah. I think, is what they, it's called, right? They announced that earlier this year, right? Summer Games Fest? Is that where it was first shown? I feel like did they... they I forget if that's when it was first shown or not, but like they talked about how you can ride around and fight and they kind of showed a lengthy gameplay demonstration. So maybe it. Right. I think it was just like a, a launch window. Okay. It, it, so it just a, trailer a CGI trailer. Okay. Uh, yeah. Ish. Um, so they're further expanding this world of Minecraft in terms of bringing other types of games and. I don't know. I I know we talked about. Um, oh gosh, what was the um, the other uh, Minecraft Minecraft Dungeons um, before? And that quite that didn't quite click for me the way I thought it would as like this co-op co-op. My gosh, co-op romp. I'm a mess. Um, but Minecraft Legends seems interesting. I I think it's something that could be a very fun family game in my household i'm curious if either of you you know watched any of minecraft live 2022 or if any of this uh gets you excited uh, just a note the uh that minecraft legends announced trailer was posted in june so i think it was yes yeah, summer games yeah uh, 10 over almost 10 million views uh, of the uh, official announcement trailer so you know a lot of folks checking it out but imran uh what, what do you say about uh some of these uh, minecraft live developments I like the idea of Moang making like different kinds of games. Like obviously they're going to put the Minecraft skin on it. Like if you're if you don't put the Minecraft skin on it, you're probably doing yourself a disservice because you, that is the biggest IP I think, or one of the biggest IPs in the world. So it makes sense they would call like anything they're going to do Minecraft something. But I think it's like the same thing I like that Riot's doing of taking these other games and genres maybe outsourcing them, maybe not, maybe building them internally and just going, okay, here's different stuff that even if you don't like our main game, this might get you into the IP a little bit because that does work. It does get people more interested. Like there are people who probably went from Mario Kart to Mario or, you know, thing like different genres like that. I, I saw the Minecraft Legends stuff and I was like, this looks interesting. I'm, I'm actually interested to play this. I don't know that it will. Minecraft is my, I check it out every two years kind of game. And the last time I checked it out was the ray tracing stuff, which is admittedly extremely cool. It is. But I uh, I want to kind of play Minecraft Legends just because it is a different thing on Minecraft. And I I might be done personally with like Minecraft. I like I don't ever see myself going back to play it for a long period of time. But I still like this. I still like looking at the thing and like hearing the sounds Minecraft makes. So I, anything that like kind of brings it into that fold where something is more interesting for me then I'm, I'm on board. Yeah. That's what yeah, I think is I, interesting. My, oh, go ahead, Jeff. Sorry. I was going to say my, my six year old is uh, constantly disappointed at how little I know about Minecraft. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so yeah, I, I, I've dabbled, but I, I didn't get deep into Minecraft and um, it, it is it, my only, I mean, this sounds like old dad comment but only because that's what I am. Um, 
the, the only bummer to me about sort of broadening the Minecraft IP into these other games, which has already happened and will continue to happen. I mean, there's what there was like a telltale, you know, adventure mm-hmm. series. There's mm-hmm. that, that other, uh, you know, isometric one that was kind of fun for a little while. Um, but the, the bummer is that what, what I think is central and actually laudable about the Minecraft franchise is that it's a, a game about creativity. Right. And I think that a lot of these other genres that use Minecraft as an IP strip that out. Right. They're, they're not about that. They're more conventional video games. And that's fine. Right. You can you can still love the IP and, and you know, have have great game experiences. But I, I just love the fact that this thing that has become so ubiquitous for really young kids, you know, on backpacks and, you know, my my kid is like. They get to on Thursdays at, at at their at his elementary school. He's in first grade, and they get to go to the library and pick out books to bring home. And he he's frequently brought home Minecraft books. Um, and it's all about you know encyclopedic kind of uh, exploration of what what does what and what do you need to hear and this they can only get this at this place and you know combine it with that. Um, all of that creative side. And uh, I don't want the IP to lose that. And I don't think it ever really will because Minecraft is still Minecraft fundamentally, but that's my only nit, yeah. I think, with all of this. Yeah, I feel like um, Legends definitely does seem, you know, in that latter camp where, they're, it, you know, they've said it's story-based. I think they're adding voicing to yeah. you know, characters that had never had it before. But it also seems thematically in terms of the UI um closer to minecraft proper than dungeons was and it kind of the overworld also looks much more like a like dungeons looked minecrafty certainly but i think the way legends looks and feels could be you know perhaps more of that gateway (laughs) gateway drug but i look at it kind of the same way i look at lego where you can get the you know, the bin of Lego bricks and all the different colors and build whatever you want. And you can also buy the Batmobile kit, you know, that comes with instructions and build that. And then when you're done with it, do something else. And I think these expansions of the IP um, don't take away from that core building version of the game, but I think Mm -hmm. work to um, be the movie of Batman while the comic book still exists (laughs) (laughs) to use another Batman example. Or the movie of Lego Batman. (laughs) i mean i so yeah the the lady who does my taxes once emailed me like middle of the night saying hey i know you work in video games can you recommend any minecraft books to me because she wanted to get closer (laughs) to her grandchild who was like obsessed with minecraft and like that's that's a thing that when i when i talk to small children and they hear oh you work in video games do you know a lot about minecraft i'm like not really I i know a little bit like oh then what could you possibly be doing if you don't right. know a lot about Minecraft? Yeah, this is my son's perspective on me. Yes. Yeah. And like, it's, I think that is, that is where, that's the basis from which they should expand Minecraft. They should go, we have fundamentally one of the strongest IPs in the world. Let's in little fits and starts, let's expand that out and try what, what else people might be interested in because yeah. who knows? Like maybe the core Minecraft audience will be on board with a Diablo. Maybe only some of them will, but if like enough of them do that it's worth trying, then go ahead and try it. Try it with different maybe there should be a JRPG Minecraft. Maybe there should be like right. all, all this other stuff. Like I Minecraft is very creative uh forward, but maybe they should expand it out into a like the kind of Roblox thing where they can actually make games. Ideally better and safer than Roblox Roblox, but you know, <laughs> not that idea. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't have fundamentally have any problem with that, and uh, and and I will. I'm sure learn more and more as my son continues to get into that world. Um, but yeah, I feel oddly disconnected to to my. It just sort of happened at a time when I wasn't. You know, I I was a little past it, mm. and it you know it is become it has taken over the world sort of. Uh, you know, without me paying much attention to it. Yeah. Uh, but it is interesting to see how my Microsoft is taking it. I get emails every couple of months from Microsoft saying, hey, your Minecraft Java edition is about to expire. We're not going to support that anymore. I'm like, oh, yeah, I did. I did start playing it in like 2000, like whatever. Yeah, me one, too. It was five, like 10 bucks yeah. at, at that time, right? For the, for the Java edition. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think is, uh, I guess, my last thought on this is I think as a corporate shepherd as we talked about some other you know corporations doing it wrong uh in terms of how layoffs go i think microsoft has been a pretty dang good steward for the minecraft brand all yeah. things considered and maybe there's some hardcore people that will argue against that but i think they expanded the core the ip while also developing and keeping pure the main game but adding improvements to it as well not forgetting it and haven't made like, uh, you know, it's, it's not like Halo Minecraft, you know, or something just totally that doesn't fit. And I think they've done a really good job in terms of being a big billion dollar company that bought this very successful thing of keeping it successful, but also clearly looking to make even more money from the brand. Yeah, it's yeah. very easy to be evil and popular with a good child, our children's thing. And <laughs> yeah. thus far, they've managed to be like popular, profitable and not evil. Like, yeah. who knows how long that will last? Maybe forever. Maybe, like, it won't, like, maybe by next E3, they'll be, they'll, they will have followed Roblox in the bad direction. But mm. at least so far, they seem to at least know what they're doing here. Well, speaking of big evil, evil corporations, my story of the week is the Meta <laughs> Connect that happened mm. this week. Uh, and uh, in which Meta uh, made a bunch of interesting announcements from my perspective about of VR and and uh, the metaverse that they're attempting to build, including announcing brand new tech, the MetaQuest Pro VR headset, which has been really one of the uh, worst kept secrets uh, for a long time. We knew that um, that Meta was going to be putting out a pro version of the Quest. Uh, what we did not know was that it was going to cost fifteen hundred dollars, uh, which is uh, over triple what the MetaQuest two uh costs uh, even even after their price increase which was pretty surprising uh and and i'll be honest folks uh, i know i have uh i have painted myself as a vr headset collector uh of sorts uh i'm a sucker for this tech i love vr i'm excited about it so uh i am not surprised how many of you reached out and said hey jeff did you get your pre-order in on metaquest pro uh headset uh, and and you know what? When I saw the announcement, I, I was I was not watching Connect. I just saw on Twitter uh, they announced the Pro. I knew that the Pro was coming. I literally went to the website to pre-order it, only to see that it was fifteen hundred dollars. And even then, I was like, "Wow, am I splurging for this? If it's fifteen hundred dollars, more than triple the Quest Two price, it's going to clearly be more than triple as powerful as as the Quest Two, right?" Well, not so much. Uh, this is uh, this is why I'm not pre-ordering the Pro headset. Although I would love to get my face on with it, I, I, w I would love to try it to to get it um, to get my own uh, my own subjective uh, view of of what its improvements are. 
I've been watching lots of people who have had a chance to try it out uh, on YouTube and, and reading articles. Um, and it, it really does seem like it's an incremental increase, which is a surprising noting the, uh, the price, a lot of comfortability improvements. The new pancake lenses are supposed to be um, much more uh, effective and, and uh, a big step up. But um, the big thing for me is, is resolution and the resolution does not seem to be a huge increase. It's about a 10% increase over Quest 2. It does have a larger color gamut and more contrast. They say the clarity in the, in the headset is um, marked and uh, noticeable, um, but it just doesn't seem to be $1,500 upgrade worthy for me. It does look cool, I think. It's got that, the, the balance of the weight with the, um, the, the battery on the back of the head strap uh, sort of balancing empty the empty wall in the front so it's like yeah, perfect yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm told like it's like it's got um only an hour or two of battery life which yep is pretty surprising for a standalone headset um which i think is the same as the quest 2 i, I have a quest 1 i believe quest 2 is like two hours and if you really push it less but i find surprising about that for the pro is that the pro was also really pitched as like this is how we business now yeah. And I think people business for more than an hour before needing to be plugged in. What it was a charge time? Five hours? You know, I guess maybe I shouldn't complain. It's a pretty good work day. Be like, yeah, well, if, if the selling point <laughs> is no meeting lasts longer than an hour, I am for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See you yeah. guys in five hours. Got to recharge. In the future, <laughs> no meetings are more than an hour. Live in the metaverse. I'm in. <laughs> Let's do this. The thing is, like, it feels like Meta has decided on their own that all like all work is going to take place in vr for some reason i don't understand like they they seem to have come to this conclusion and this is a good business move if you're a hundred percent sure this is what's going to happen but i don't think that's going to happen like the argument is that 10 meta headsets cost less than an office so you don't like <laughs> right. so if everyone just at home and they're meeting in a virtual office but you know what costs less than an office and a meta headset zoom <laughs> or Skype, yeah. or a phone call. Like, all of those things are things that we use right now. Like, this feels like a thing that someone started in March 2020 and was like, if we get this out next month, this is going to be huge. And now it's been two years. And <laughs> right. I, like, I don't, they've not done a great job of saying what their their idea and their vision for VR in the workplace, or honestly, even for games is yet and they're rapidly running out of road to do so because they keep announcing these things that let's let's say you are someone who does like the idea of working in vr that that's perfectly fine that's valid i think it's an interesting technology i think if you wanted to pursue that you'd probably get something out of it but if you are that person you're probably not someone who's like been keeping up on all of this like bit by bit you're not someone who like look is looking interested in the quest pro and the quest 2 or you're you're someone who owns a business and are think like oh this is called quest pro so i need this for the work one but you look at that price tag and go actually no i'm probably not going to do this it's easier to it's easier and cheaper to just do it the way that we've always done it or like the ways that are currently working so they alongside this instead of just saying you know this is for enterprise they just said this is why this works for enterprise this is why it's more than just like bad second life and they're not doing that well at all i it's one thing to open yourself up to mockery it's another to just like welcome it the way this this thing is 
Yeah. I, I, I can't argue with any of that. I mean, I honestly, I'm rooting for VR. I'm not necessarily rooting for meta or Facebook, but I'm, I'm rooting for VR. And, and I don't know who this product is for, you know, at half this price, $750, I would still be like, wow, that's, that's steep for what is an incremental upgrade to your $400 product. It, it, it's strange. And, and that's at half of what it's actually priced at. Yeah. So I, I don't know who this is for. And I think you make a great argument, Imran, for the, the, the enterprise side. I mean, I think there are certain applications uh, and those are the ones you often see in these, you know, in the future, we'll all be working VR. And it's like, you know, shared, uh, I don't know, engineering design or something where you can walk around it and, and manipulate it or, or some sort of medical field where you're able to, you know, feel like you're sort of in the operating room. But again, like, I don't want my headset to run out of battery in the middle of <laughs> one of those meetings. It just, it, I just don't know who this product is for and, and who they expect to sell $1,500 headsets to. I don't know. And, you know, clearly not me uh, who is ready to buy head VR headsets and wants to play more VR games because this is not even targeted as particularly a, a gaming um, piece of hardware. Yeah. Um, although there were some game announcements alongside this at, at Meta Connect. Um, not anything really to write home about, but there is a game that I'm very excited is coming to uh, Quest, and that is uh, Iron Man VR, which I think had been trapped. Uh, I think it's the same game as the as yeah. the one that came yeah, out. On they the... bought Camouflage, so they right. bought the company that made it and are porting it to. Yeah, uh, and I'm hoping the they meta. do some improvements because it, I I played it on uh, I played it on uh, PSVR, and it just was trapped in some really outdated hardware at that point, and uh, but it, but it had some just great ideas, and I hope they're giving Camouflage some some cash to kind of uh you know iterate a bit and and make it a little bit um even more robust than it was because you know it, it, the flying stuff is great the combat is really cool uh but it had sort of this um really flimsy you know you're a tony stark's house layer that just didn't really feel very good at all and, and i'm hoping maybe they get to flesh it out a bit more and uh when it is released on quest i i really want to play it i i, I yeah. hope it's a lot better I, I did a couple of preview sessions for it, and, like, the main problem I always had with it was the flying section, I'm turning around, and I'm always worried I'm going to trip on a wire because you just had those big wires coming at the back of the headset. Yeah. But now we don't – with the Quest 2, we do not have to worry about that. It should, in theory, that that one thing should make for a better game. But we'll we'll see. Maybe Maybe once, like, the novelty of it, like, wears off, then I'm not – maybe, like, some design flaws will be more apparent. But like they're they're buying pretty much every studio that has at some point or another committed to VR. Mm. So maybe this is just like now that they know how to port to Quest, they can make something probably not Iron Man again, but something iterative that does knock out of the park. And and that I mean, honestly, if you've got meta money, that's how I want you to spend it is is make software. I mean, it's a bummer that the software comes and it seems to be locked, um, you know, in this walled garden of of Quest products. I would love for it to be on PC VR and and any other, you know, and PS VR two or whatever. I, I would love it to not feel like oh, you have to have a a meta product in order to play these games. But I do want somebody investing in software because the software has really dried up quite a bit. Um, yeah. From from when VR was first hitting the scene, and and I, that's what's going to get people to to want to purchase it. 
I do think that with these acquisitions, they are they are probably seeding the what AAA VR purports to be to Sony. They're probably saying like, if you want the Resident Evil Villages or the the major high end VR games, that's probably going to be on PSVR too. I think where Oculus is going to sit is, especially with Camouflage, Twisted Pixel, and Armature, lower end stuff yeah. like. Games that are cheaper to make and cheaper to buy. I don't think we're going to get anything that's like $60 on the Oculus Store ever. But I think we're going to start seeing more stuff that is like a Beat Saber. Stuff that is simple in concept and easy to explain. And you just put on a headset and do it. I don't think they're going to go for the the larger experiences uh, like from here on out. That said, they did buy Senzaru. Senzaru's last game was Asgard's Wrath. Yeah. Because I, so I wrote the reveal for that game. That game's <laughs> like, awesome. Yeah, it is, it's a very good game, and it is the kind of thing of we we want a bigger VR title. They've yeah. not said or announced anything since then, so right. maybe they are working on one of those AAA games, and maybe that is like the strategy of mostly small things and then a couple of big things here and there. I think that's all accurate, and it it, it bums me out a bit, but I think it is accurate. Um, yeah. One the more hard part is just meta, right? Like yeah. Yeah. anecdotally and stuff, it's like they need this to work because they need their own hardware. They need their own platform. They can't, they're tired of being beholden to not being allowed to track everything about everyone because Apple says, hey, what you're doing we think is evil. Uh, we think our customers will prefer us to not let you do what you're doing and we can actually use that as a pro for our device. So we're going to turn that off. And they see billions of dollars of revenue lost. And Google's also like, yeah, Apple made a pretty good play with that. We're also going to stop you from doing all of this tracking that your customers didn't know you were doing. And Meta's stock takes another hit. And it's like, well, if we own the thing, no one can control what we're doing but us. If we own the thing, we don't have to tell anyone what we're doing. There's no oversight into all of the stuff we do or collect or sell or give to other parties to use however they want. And to me, that makes sense as why they're putting so much stock into this. They need to own the whole kit and caboodle to run their business unfettered. And to to me, that is the scariest part of it. Knowing what these VR headsets can do in terms of understanding data about you. And then knowing the company that is owning that data and I'm not saying that they are alone. You know, Amazon trying to purchase iRobot, the makers of Roomba, also very scary <laughs> for, for many of uh, the same reasons, I think. But I, I just don't see an altruistic uh, side of meta in terms of why they are want to get into VR and to create the metaverse. And I think the game that they would have to make would have to be really, really good <laughs> to have me personally be remotely interested yeah in what they're putting out i don't know what would make people want to start doing vr for work like i don't know what what would change society it can, like it can't be a good thing we're talking about like another pandemic level thing that would get people to go okay we're gonna stay home but i also i miss interacting with people what if we approximated it somehow and i don't know what would get people to move on from zoom or even just slack to to want to do this but they seem convinced meta seems convinced that's going to happen and in a way that's like honestly a little worrying of like what do you guys know what do you think is going to happen 
<laughs> I mean, I think, I mean, to give them the benefit of the doubt, I think it's more of that they're thinking that the experience would be so compelling. <laughs> not, yeah. that, not that we're going to be slammed in a... I mean, you know, if if they think that horrible global catastrophe, if they think that they're probably betting on a wrong horse here, like this well, is the, it, 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 it's wrong until it isn't right. Because right. The, you at know, the moment, read any science fiction book in the last 30 years and, and somebody's in postulating that, you know, we're all going to have these incredible experiences that are in a virtual space. I think I think that's the idea of a metaverse. That's why you coin your company meta and talk about a metaverse is that you're trying to. Uh, get to a place where you know th there's this compelling virtual space that is shared that we all go to it's the ready player one thing you know it's i, I don't i don't think that that is inherently um and an unrealistic goal i think that it's a science fiction goal now uh it's certainly not what they're what they've created but i, I think that's genuinely what they want to make is that there's this some there's this other thing that hasn't happened yet, but it takes a company with the resources of a Facebook to make it happen. Um, and not, not to discount any of the genuine concerns you guys have, which I think they're are valid, but I do think, I do think there is a pie in the sky kind of idealistic view of this that isn't cynical. Um, I, I, you know, I, I can, you can attribute that in, to Zuckerberg as much or as little as you like, but I think, that's the notion, right? The notion is make something that is that is incredible and takes the planet somewhere it never has gone before. I think so. you're correct in that there is a time in the history of everything that works when it didn't, but they have to be willing to lose a ton of money on the things like the they are. Pro. Like, continue to lose money. There can't They're be anyone... They're 10 bill in on this. The $10 billion. I mean, the, he, the thing... He, you can say a lot of things negative about Zuckerberg, and I am totally in, in agreement with that, but what you can't say is the dude doesn't make crazy bets because he has literally risked the entire future of this company on this idea. And that I, I, there's a lot of reasons that I don't respect the guy, but I do respect him for that because I think that's an incredibly bold and risky move that could totally tank what is one of the most you know profitable companies in the history of mankind. And it's all because he's like thinks this is the way forward and i think that's right. kind well, of they also didn't have another product <laughs> they haven't had another product well, all they've done is the... bought other people's products that they saw as competitors some just to shelf i mean sure. this isn't the you know the the you know the mark product but, I, but there's I a lot of just... companies that just hold on to the product that's made the money and write it into the ground I've uh, never heard of that once, Jeff. I, from personal experience, I've never been. I'm just saying it's a pretty bold. Did that. It's a pretty bold thing to say. Hey, we're going to lose literally tens of billions every year to try to make this, to try to will this thing into existence. Okay, I think but the question is like, when, when does that wheel turn for them? Of do they think the MetaQuest Pro is going to make a profit, or not a profit? Is it going to be like to justify the work done so far? And if the answer is no, then what are we waiting for are we the experiments are we the, the the gerbils in this one or like when is that thing going to come that actually does make good on what they're promising and i i'm not convinced they know yet i think that's probably accurate yeah it's it's as i said i don't know who this product is for right. um it, it, and i don't pros. know if they know not us amateurs oh, pros. it's for pros 
the PlayStation yeah. 4 Pro ruined the word pro for anything. Like, because, <laughs> like, if you can name a gaming console the pro version, then, like, what does it mean anymore? Right. I'm a pro phone user. I, <laughs> this is my first time being, I've never been a pro phone user, but I got called up after uh, numerous years in the minors, and now yeah. I'm a pro phone user, and it feels good. You yeah, know? I, really I, was in the a, show. I was a pro Horizon Zero Dawn player in that I played it at, in checkerboard 4K as the professionals do. <laughs> All right, on that note, uh, let's move on. But first, I want to thank our sponsor, which is Squarespace. Squarespace! Squarespace, of course, has been a sponsor since we started this here DLC podcast. And I am happy to continue to talk about Squarespace. I've used it for uh, well over a decade. JeffCanada.com was built on Squarespace. And uh, I recommend it to friends and family whenever they say, I need to build a website. Jeff, I need to build a website. Tell me how you use websites. I say, yes, Squarespace. Squarespace is the place to build a website. And now, if you have uh, any any kind of business online, Squarespace is your all-in-one platform for building a brand and growing a business online. It helps you stand out. They, of course, have always been great with beautiful websites, beautiful, striking, unique, interesting websites that engage with your audience. And now they're doubling down on helping you sell things, products, content you create, even your time. They have all sorts of really great tools at Squarespace to help you capitalize on the things that will, uh, will help grow your business, including member areas uh, where you can monetize content and expertise in a way that fits your brand. Uh, you can unlock revenue streams for your business and free up time in your schedule by selling access to gated content or, or videos, online courses, newsletters. And, and if you want to make videos, they have a Squarespace video studio app that helps you make and share engaging videos to tell your story and grow your audience and drive sales. It's all built in. It's all uh, it, everything you need, all, all right there for you at Squarespace. Uh, if you, if you want to have an online store, it's easy. Just drag and drop. It's just a module that turns your website into an online store, whether you sell physical or, or digital products. They have the tools that you need to start selling online easily. Plus, everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. You don't need to worry about anything. You don't have to upgrade anything or patch anything. They've got analytics that help you grow your business in real time with insights. It's uh, it, it's everything you need. Why don't you check it out? Squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me is the place to go to get a free trial. And then when you're ready to launch your website, you can use our offer code, which is Jeff sent me, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, all one word. And you'll save yourself 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Great place to buy domains. I've used the front end at Squarespace to buy my domains for a long time now. And man, it's so cool. It's so slick. Check it out squarespace.com slash jeff sent me and then the promo code jeff sent me to save yourself 10 percent off all right let's uh, talk about the games that we have been playing in a segment we call the playlist Imran, I'm very excited to talk about some of the games that you have been playing. In particular, I'd like to start with that Street Fighter VI beta, if if you're cool with that. I am. Uh, yeah. I've read a lot of things. I've seen some real wacky creative fighters. 
<laughs> and I'm very curious what your time with the uh, Street Fighter Six beta has been like. So I've basically at every event over the last like six months, I have been playing Street Fighter Six at each one because Capcom is like, "Hey, do you want to like try this new build?" And every time, I'm like, "Yes," because I keep being surprised that I loved Street Fighter Four. Street Fighter Four was an amazing game. It, it was really what got me into fighting games. Uh, I did not like Street Fighter Five. I did not expect to like Six. Six is so good. I genuinely feel like it could make a real run at Game of the Year. I think, wow. I don't think most fighting games are really capable of usually because just that's just not the kind of game that does. But Six feels amazing, and they've nailed the style of it so well that I think like one issue I've always I had with Five, especially, but this has always been an issue with Capcom in the series, is that they they build a really good fighting engine and then just kind of leave it be in terms of presentation, in terms of extra content, in terms of all that. This is the time I feel like they've realized we can't do that anymore. If we want to make this hit, it needs to have that like compelling single player mode. It needs to have the compelling like gameplay. It needs to have a presentation that every time you look at it, you go, wow, this looks slick as hell. And I think that's kind of where like even the little bits of Street Fighter 6, even a little bits of the single player mode we've seen, that's them going where we've learned our lessons. We're we wanna make this the game that Street Fighter fans have been waiting for. And I I every time I touch that game, every time I pick it up and I'm like, I want to try this new character, the new character immediately feels good. It feels natural to play. And I feel like I I feel like this is a game that I could play and lose at constantly and still feel i'm getting better and still enjoy myself that's awesome i'm so excited for this um i've read a a number of people really praising the uh the fighting trainer um which historically has been a, a really tough thing to get right in fighting games have you had any time to play with that so like when you in the beta itself, there's no real like there's nothing really besides going up through the lobby and then like fighting people in an mm. arcade machine, arcade style thing. Uh, so but what they did tell me when I interviewed them, I interviewed the producer and the director at TGS. They said the main thing they're building that single player mode for is to teach people how to enjoy Street Fighter, not just how mm. to get good at it, because that that is that is an important distinction is yeah. that. Getting good at the game, yeah, you can Google, yeah, you can like watch videos, tell you, you can do what I did and ask Idom, one of the best Street Fighter players in the world, to teach you how to play Street Fighter. <laughs> but like that, that will make you maybe learn, like memorize some tactics. But unless you're enjoying the game, you'll never be great at it. Right. And I think teaching people how to get like learn the learn the game is one thing, but teaching people how to like learn how to love it is the other. And I think. I've not tried it to know whether they're successful or not, but that they're at least attempting to do that, I think is the right call. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a laudable goal. I, I love that. That's their, their take on it. Um, man, I, I'm, I'm very excited and uh, I, I, I can't wait to get my hands on it myself. Um, hearing you compare it uh, favorably to street fighter four is, is really exciting. Street Fighter Six. Uh, I don't even. When is it slated to come out? Is this, is it coming out the end of the year? No, they don't have a date for it yet. It's probably yeah. it almost certainly going to be twenty twenty three. I imagine it is not going to come out before Resident Evil, which is March. Right. So pro- I would guess early summer, late late spring. Well, I guess I'll have to wait. Sounds sounds awesome though. And you've also got early hands on with another game that I'm uh, I'm eagerly anticipating, uh, Mario Rabbids Sparks of Hope. That I did indeed, yeah. Ubisoft had sent me code for that game, so I have I am 
it's an in-progress review because I've not actually finished it, but I know how I feel about the game, and I think that game is quite good. Yeah. How, how does it compare to the first game? I, I, it seems like they have really expanded the scope and mechanics of the game to add a lot more exploration and a lot more other stuff to do rather than just sort of being a, you know, a XCOM uh, with a Mario skin. Yeah, like the first game, I, I like that game a lot, but you're right, between battles, there was just not a lot to do. You you just walked forward, essentially, and maybe solved some puzzles if you wanted some rewards or just kept going to the next battle or and like upgrade your stuff and blah, blah, blah. It was not, it, it was serviceable, but in no way compelling. This one, it feels more like a Mario RPG kind of thing. You go to a world, biome, whatever you want to call it, and there's like side quests there's exploration there's npcs that are around there's stores it's not like it is not a massive jrpg kind of thing it's not a giant world that you can like that you're going to get lost in but it is it's a expanded thing to the kingdom battles uh initial between battle section where they're like rabbits that are around saying hey these bombs are ruining my vacation can you kill through the bombs not the most compelling quest design, but it's better <laughs> than, you know, put, can you push all these blocks around? A lot of it, most of the quests you'll do are in just, like, going into a battle and solving that battle, and then you're done with the quest. And then, like, you save some toads or whatever. So it's not, I, I would not call it, like, incredibly inventive. In fact, it gets a little repetitive at some point, but it is very clearly expanded on the previous game, and they're, like, trying to do more with it. I it it's also just fun to run around as Mario and hear him say stuff as you're like running through like an ice world or whatever. Yeah, it's like hanging out with Chris Pratt. <laughs> I was gonna say, Jeff, what, what what would he say? What would Mario say <laughs> as he ran to an ice world? Maybe just You'd like say, uh, it- this looks like the Mushroom Kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> Except for like nailed a, it. Hey, <laughs> this looks like the Mushroom Kingdom. <laughs> I, I can you understand both why you the job. I can't yeah. pick either of you now. You I, both sound perfect. I can understand why you couldn't like get it accurately because, as Chris Pratt said, we have never heard anything like it before. Never, it is completely yeah. new to the world. Shocking. Yeah. Oh man, I'm so excited for that game. I loved the first one. I loved it so much. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I like. Yeah. It, it took a little while for it to, for to warm up again because it's it starts off. I think. It doesn't start off great because it puts you in a world that is rainy and muddy. And I'm like, does is this game look bad or is the Switch old or what? But by the time you finish it, it is like sunshine and looks nice again. Uh, and also, they really slow s- slow the rollout of various features. Like, you don't get your third-party member till the end of the first world. like oh, wow. Or third-party member you can use in battle. So yeah. it, it feels like less complicated, less interesting. But by the end of, or middle of the second world, I'd say you start understanding why they make all these like small little arbitrary, what feel like arbitrary changes. Like uh, in this game, you can't move after you shoot and, but you can move or you can consistently keep going back and forth moving until you perform that action. So you can set up so many different things. Like I've, I've specced Mario out now. So he is constantly like jumping on enemy heads, which Mm. means that I can now set up people to like move into space for Mario to jump on them. So he can like jump back on someone or, jump on some enemies, jump back, shoot from the air, then come back to where he was, and then move those characters again so I can set up another team jump or I can set up a new shot or whatever. The The way this game has rolled out its small changes is very interesting and very compelling because it in the previous game, you were ranked on how many turns you took to finish the battle. Mm-hmm. And if you were... Usually there was like a par limit and usually you would hit par or below. But this one, there's no ranking. So it is basically telling you sometimes it's not... it's you're not going to be aggressive in every single battle. Sometimes you need to like 
hunker down. Sometimes you need to get everyone in a good position so enemies come to you. And right. I think there's a lot more variety in the different puzzle boxes this game has that is, again, another great expansion of Kingdom Battle because they did sit down. They did think about what do we, what did the first game not do well and how do we improve on that? And I think they've mostly nailed that. The The problem I have is that Nintendo has not released a new Switch. Mm. And, yeah, you're uh, going to have that problem in spades with this game. I, I uh, My son is like all about the Switch. And so... If daddy's going to need the Switch, I I don't want to buy a second old Switch. I want a new Switch yeah. to buy, and then I can hand him down my Switch, which he's basically taking most of the time with anyway. He, he this, plays more of that thing than I ever did. This is the problem uh, I've run into where my Switch fan has decided it's going to be extremely loud. So, it like, unless I were wearing headphones, it is noticeable. But I don't want to buy a new Switch. Right. Because, like, what if a new Switch comes out right after I buy this? Or... Like, what if even even if like there's a Tears of the Kingdom OLED, I want that instead of just like whatever else right now. Yeah, exactly. There's gonna there's gonna be some Tears of the Kingdom branded switch. <sighs> I just want a vent that does not or a fan that doesn't scream bloody murder at me. <laughs> I just want two Joy Cons that work. That's all <laughs> I care about. I don't uh, know if they'll ever fix that, but that's we'll see. A- that's not a not a very ambitious goal, but it's a big big goal in our house. Um, what else have you been playing? What else is on your playlist? Uh, in terms of recent stuff, uh, real quick, every time I play pick up my Steam Deck, it is to play Vampire Survivors. Even yep. though I keep buying games for my Steam Deck, I just keep playing Vampire Survivors, so that's become a problem. Uh, <laughs> I understand that. I'm right there with you, man. It's a uh, perfect Steam Deck game. It is. It is actually because it's the, one of the few games that doesn't drain the battery like. Egregiously, yeah. <laughs> and like you pick it up for five minutes and you end up wasting 30 minutes i we were almost late to a thing today because i was playing <laughs> vampire survivors uh i splatoon 3 i'm still enjoying i'm like i play that game with my partner rebecca and we both get very mad by the end of every night because we're like it can't be that we're bad it's that everyone else is bad it's that we keep getting matched <laughs> up with bad people who are right. like, we keep getting matched against the best players ever obviously so it's it's fun but yeah we get salty at the end of every match uh overwatch 2 i've been playing a little bit i don't like that game i don't think oh really and you did like overwatch one i liked year one of overwatch one Mm. i feel like i i dropped off after that so like maybe just maybe that game moved past me but the the thing that's been ringing in my head for the last like week or two playing overwatch 2 is i kind of think overwatch league ruined overwatch I kind of think they started designing a game for maybe it's a bigger audience, but it's an audience I'm not a part of. Right. I liked I liked Overwatch One, where it felt like everyone was taking this game exactly as seriously as I was, which was <laughs> we go in, we win or we lose, whatever. But everyone like I'm a Widowmaker, I want to go to that like the area of the the map that I like shooting from and sometimes it works most of the time it works and sometimes it doesn't but whatever but no one's gonna get yelled or get mad at me or yell at me this game like as a tank people were yelling at me that i wasn't doing enough dps as like <sighs> as i couldn't get into my old positions because everyone's like why are you there that's not the ideal optimized position Yikes. like i feel like as people took this game more seriously and as blizzard started catering to those people more the multiplayer creativity got drained from that game it got like it wasn't about 
finding out what works best for me as a player. It's about learning the optimized strats for my role and just doing that. And I can understand why some people do love that. I know that, that like winning is like what people do, like how they have fun in these games, but it's not for me. Like that's not what I care about deeply. And I play Overwatch 2 and it's gone so far in that direction that it just, it feels like it's just completely, it is, the friend I I had in elementary school that became a jock in high school and is now like way too popular for me. And is that I, I don't even sorry, know if it's popular. But I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you think that's a problem with the game's design, or do you think that's a problem with the community that the game has fostered? I think it's a problem with the with the community and then it ends up being a problem with design because Blizzard like follow like is way too reactive to this community. Mm, I think yeah. the second you made role queue, like the second you made it so I have to decide before a match starts whether I want to be a support, a DPS, or a tank. Like that initially, like that immediately turns me off because I'm. It used to be that oh, my friend wants to be Tracer, so I'm going to be a character that's fun to play alongside Tracer. And it's not that different, really. But it's because it's one of those things that just feels in my day. This wasn't in my day yeah. of 2016. This right, was not right. exactly what this was like. And yeah. the other aspect is. I don't I don't understand why this game is called Overwatch 2. I like legitimately just don't. The the major difference I have noticed is that sometimes maps take place at the day when they used to take place at night and vice versa. And that's that's not enough really for to call this game Overwatch 2. It's not enough to get someone like me back in for sure, but it feels like Maybe there is something they're just waiting in the wings with to roll out, like the the PVE stuff that they announced first. Maybe mm-hmm. that's the thing that justifies calling this Overwatch 2. But if that's the case, I don't know why this game is out. Surely it can't be because it was ready because it's glitchy as hell. Like, mm. I don't know if you've noticed, but they removed Bastion from all modes and Torbjorn yeah. from most. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a it, obviously very uh, turbulent rollout of this game, uh, you know, with the, with the, I guess they had a, uh, DDoS a, a, a attack and and you couldn't log in for you know I downloaded I was all excited on day one I was like oh I'm gonna get I'm forty thousandth in in queue which I think was an erroneous reporting it was just a the game had completely borked from the DDoS attack which you know is not their fault but right. it just feels like this whole thing has been has been a bit of a disaster and um, I mean I think the the two ness of it is the free part maybe but maybe that's not enough to be a two I think what I am waiting for is when the Microsoft acquisition of Blizzard and Activision Blizzard finishes. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's just some like plan for Game Pass waiting in the wings. That is, hey, you have Game Pass, you play Overwatch 2, here's just half the battle pass like done for you. Yeah. Like that's the only way I can really like cuz the battle pass also way too grindy. It doesn't like they've already started doing double XP for that stuff because it just it doesn't feel like it's in any way completable by a normal human being. And mm-hmm. like, obviously the best stuff is at the end of it. So I, I personally, I came away with from that. Like, I want to say three, four hours of playing that game with a very sour taste in my mouth. And the only mm-hmm. reason I played three or four hours was I kept going, there's gotta be something like, there's gotta be some way for me to recapture that first year. And yeah. it just, I just couldn't. Mm, that's a bummer. Well, Christian, my understanding is that knowing is half the battle pass. Is that not? Are you just doing a G.I. Joe deep cuts now for our audience? That's Are all you, I care about. That's, it's it's, it's garnered a lot of response. So 
That's all but I now do you know. are Overwatch too. It's not. It's the community that dictates the design. Uh, for how- <laughs> uh, Christian, what is on uh, what is on your playlist this week? Two games I can talk about now this week that uh, hadn't been able to talk about prior to. I was um, provided a code by Elphonic for Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed, which is their latest 4v1 uh, multiplayer. You can also, you can play solo, but multiplayer game. Everyone against an- Spangler, right? <laughs> no, it's everyone trying to convince Bill Murray to not phone it in. <laughs> um, he's actually... He's actually not in this game, um, but it's, you know, it's the 4v1 asymmetric game that they have done several excellent ones already of based on other IPs you might be fond of. And what this game does right is reverence for the IP in a big, big way. It brings that Ghostbusters feeling to a video game. Uh, Ernie Hudson and Dan Aykroyd are back, Winston and uh, Ray, from the OG Ghostbusters. And there's, I haven't, I mean, there's not a complete, I think, but, you know, because it's mostly, it's a multiplayer game. But between sessions, games, rounds, there is story that happens. And it's, you know, well-voiced and well-written performances by Mm. the folks in this game, including Dan Aykroyd and Ernie. It's not like, hey, welcome. Here's this new character, Yuck Yucks. (laughs) (laughs) And then they walk away and Yuck Yucks is like, you're a Ghostbuster now. You know, it's not, (laughs) it is not that. It is. Really good Yuck Yucks though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Yuck Yucks apparently didn't get the gig. They uh, actually found out while they were in Australia. Um covering PAX Australia. Anyway, I'm trying to tie stories together. Um, but it is it is covered in Ghostbusters-ness. You start in the fire station. Uh, Ecto-1 is there. You can't drive it, uh, which is, it, it could be fun to do, but a good driving game is hard to do. Um, you get to explore the station and where you go into your upgrade area, you're tinkering and it, it feels right. And the art direction for the game also really, really hits. Like it feels like, uh Fortnite meets an updated version of the real Ghostbusters. If you all our audience remembers that cartoon where they couldn't be called Ghostbusters because some other genius made a cartoon <laughs> called Ghostbusters that wasn't Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> so the actual Ghostbusters had to be a cartoon called The Real Ghostbusters. Um but a really really smart art direction for the game that isn't trying to be photorealistic that I think will age really really well. That also lends itself to the ghosts design and the level design is is really smart where you're in these, you know, air quote, real world spaces, but clearly built to be a map, you know, a gameplay map where you have you're hunting this ghost and the ghost has abilities to kind of or you're playing as the ghost to move around space in interesting ways and and get things done. And so the core gameplay loop is a 4v1, four players as the Ghostbusters, one as the Ghost, and or you can, you know, again, play solo and have AI fill those roles. And the Ghost is trying to get a haunt meter to 100, which uh, is done by, like, scaring civilians that the Ghostbusters can then go and calm down. And some of the, <laughs> some of the dialogue that happens there is, I think, intentionally funny. It's, it's funny regardless. Some of it is, like, you know, very cheesy, but it feels knowingly cheesy. You know, like, oh... 
this museum is a great place to be. Now that I see that exhibit, you know, it's just like this person gets harassed by a ghost and then you're like, no, no, it's cool. It is cool. Thanks, Ghostbusters. Like, you know, keeping these these people in this environment. Um, and they're trying you're trying to do that as the ghost to hit this hundred meter. And as the Ghostbuster, you're trying to trap and contain the ghost before that happens and seek out riffs. Um, because if you don't get rid of the riffs, then the, the ghost kind of has an infinite spawn. So you use your tools to to walk around the space, uh, your PKE and your proton pack, and then your trap and all this stuff to locate the ghost, locate the rifts, blow them up, and then contain and trap the ghost. And that core gameplay loop is fun and rewarding as you're running around these maps. The knocks against this game uh, in my playtime with it are you need a reverence for the IP, which I think as I've played a lot of these, kind of lends true to all of them. The fact that there are so many that are largely similar um, and you don't kind of hear about them, you know, several weeks after their release, it's like, do you love this IP? Well, you're going to revisit it. And without that, I don't know. I think there's a reason why there hasn't been this style of game that's just new IP, you know, that has the legs enough to stand on that gameplay loop. And then Friends, uh, the AI in, in Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed, isn't great and that in my opinion there's nothing more frustrating than having an ai controlled character not play their role or not only not even play their role but just stand in a corner (laughs) instead of throwing a trap or instead like yeah i could see it wants you to be the hero and have that hero moment i guess if you're able to but there were frustrating moments of of the ai not doing uh, a support role well and then I found some stuff finicky about the trapping mechanism itself. There's training and, you know, it walks you through it and you play enough, you kind of get the hang of it. But I never felt, it never felt a hundred percent. I was sure it was going to happen. And that variability also didn't feel like the gameplay element, like your proton pack can overheat. And that's part of it. Like, do I have it tethered strong enough to pull it toward the trap or if that, you know, Oh no, I've, I used my proton pack too early and I'm going to overheat. So I have to release. And that's kind of a, a push pull, but other times I feel like I had everything right. And it still didn't click for me. And I'm not sure what I did wrong. And that, that aspect of it felt frustrating, but again, going to back to how I started this, if you are a fan of Ghostbusters and you have a squad of friends that are also fans of Ghostbusters that will regularly get together and play this game, it's a super easy recommend, hang, you know, play with your friends, golf game, as I've called them before. You can upgrade your kit. There's different ghosts, um, but it is that gameplay loop, right? It's not going to suddenly change at some point and be something bigger or different. But I think they nailed the Ghostbusters-ness of it. And I think for a lot of people, that's going to be enough. Did you play as both sides? I did some ghosting. I am not a good ghost. <laughs> <laughs> is, the, is the I mean, is the gameplay style of each side interesting? I mean, I, I kind of understand what being a Ghostbuster would be, but is the ghosting fun? Yeah, it is. I mean, you're you're running around trying to mess stuff up, you know, and and scare people and and trash the place and kind of be a pest oh and one cool mechanic that i didn't talk about is that there's kind of a save at the end where if the ghost does get it to 100 um i don't remember exactly how long or what the the timer is on it because uh i didn't 
pull it off. <laughs> I didn't get to it that many times. I didn't pull it off. But even when you hit a hundred, there's like that last rush to go and still trap the ghost, um, which is kind of a cool final moment. And another cool thing I think for this IP is that as a Ghostbuster, you can you're never knocked out, which I think is also problematic for some of these games where you're having a fun time playing, but the killer kills you early, and then you're like. I guess I'll requeue or I'll <laughs> spectate. You know, this is awkward because you are a Ghostbuster. You'll get slimed, you'll get slowed down, but you're always in the match until it's over. And that I think is fitting for the IP and also a really smart um, gameplay tweak for this 4v1 style of game. Yeah, I played this game as a preview like March-ish. And like it it was fun. I I don't think I'm in the category of people who I think would come back to this more often. Like I, I like Ghostbusters. I don't love it. I don't have friends that would want to come back and play this weekly. But the bit I played, I I think if you do fit that category, then yes, this is going to be a, like, I, I'm obviously friends with Greg Miller. He is in the game, but he is the yes. kind of person for whom this game is made. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's the hard part about this game. Like, again, I think it's really well made and it clearly has an audience that will eat it up. Uh, and I hate saying this week after week on this show. And I feel like I say it a lot, but it's probably strongest as a mode in Fortnite than mm. as a standalone game. Like it, mm. I think because there are so many of these and they all have subtle tweaks to it. And again, none of them seem to have the legs that folks are still talking about it a year or two later. I think it kind of shows what the lifespan is for it, but also maybe that's okay. It's, I think it's a 40, again, I got a code, um, I think it's a $40 purchase. So it's not asking $70 from you. And if that's fun for three months, uh, it's probably worth it. So it's probably doing what it sets out to do. Yeah. Also, you mentioned the the very good performances, and they like one of the smartest things I feel like they got or they did was they got Rahul Kohli as one of the characters, and like that's just smart. Like get a get smart or get good actors who love Ghostbusters to voice actor Ghostbuster game. Yeah. Yes. Bring the passion. Yeah. Well, that's Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed. What else is on your playlist, Christian? I think we have this game in common, uh, Lego Brick Tales. I was mm-hmm. also provided a, a review code for this game. Yep, and folks that have listened to this show have uh, heard us talk about, we were very excited about it. Um, Definitely. Based on the trailer and the release. This game is a miss for me, Jeff, but I don't want to spend a lot of time poo-pooing it if you loved it. I can say what I liked about it, and then I, I could say where I think its its biggest weaknesses are, but I'm curious how you want to approach it. I wonder if we have the same uh, view of its weaknesses. I, I think I came away from it probably liking it a bit more than you, but it definitely, the, the its biggest, uh, in my opinion, its biggest um, feature is its biggest weakness, which is... The reason we were excited about it, at least the reason I was excited about it, uh, was, hey, here's a Lego game that actually focuses on putting together Legos, not just mm-hmm. holding down a button while, uh, you know, the next... Uh, a minifig st- throws them together for you. Or yeah, yeah. You know, st- Luke Skywalker builds an X-Wing by holding down A, and it just goes... Which is satisfying in those games, and I enjoy those games, but that's not the joy of Lego for me. The joy of Lego is creativity, it's... It's putting things t- together in novel ways. It's watching, figuring out how all those uh, tiny little components form into something cool. That That's the joy of Lego. It's kind of what I was talking about with Minecraft. It's like, it, it is creativity. And none of the Lego video games really have demonstrated that, have, have leveraged that aspect of Lego. And here was a game, excuse me, here was a game that was going to uh, do that. And I think... 
that is its biggest feature, but is also uh, unfortunately really cumbersome in the context of the game and really detracts from it. it. I actually got fatigued, you know, moving through. I think the game is gorgeous. I'm playing it on PC. Yes. Playing, I'm playing it on Beautiful. PC. It's, it's, it's gorgeous. It, it, I love, you know, just like in the Lego movies, watching, seeing these very complicated digital versions of Lego where like these incredibly vast or cool, intricate, awesome and, yeah. Yeah, biomes are made entirely of recognizable pieces from Lego, you know? Like they didn't cheat, right? They actually designed it with all actual pieces you could acquire. Um, that just is a delight. I just love looking at the worlds because they, they're vibrant, they're colorful, and they're built out of pieces that I know, right? It does all that really well. I think the story is fun, whatever. It's kind of simple and, and silly, but I it's think fun. It's a I, little, I think it's a little aged up. I also, aside from the building being cumbersome, I thought this would be a really fun game for my kids also especially my oldest but it made jokes that were clearly aimed at me yeah <laughs> you know yeah. but and like there were some bigger words in there that i think my daughter my oldest would understand be able to read but not grok in terms of context mm. um so i thought that was and it was a little more story focused i i did not roll credits in it but I, even from the biomes i played i found i didn't expect it to be so story focused in terms mm. of oh yeah, there's, there's a lot there's of a narrative here yeah, and it's a, it's it's really forcing it on you. <laughs> but I, I, ultimately, the problem is that as I progressed forward, and I would get to another section where I needed to build something to to keep moving forward, it would take it takes you to a little uh, you know a building screen, and it shows you the pieces you have available and the problem you have to solve, and that's awesome. I'm like, yes. But as I kept going forward, I was like, oh man, this is going to be. A lot of frustration where I can't get the piece exactly in the spot I want, and I'm fighting with the UI to manipulate in 3D space exactly where I want. This is a game that should be in VR. This game would be brilliant (laughs) in VR. If I could reach in with my touch controllers and pick up a brick and put it where I want, it would be genius. But unfortunately, I'm dealing with twin sticks and trying to just click 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 over in the 3d space and like go exactly under or above and try to get it on the and it kind of is it's trying to help me but in trying to help me it's hurting me by flopping the camera and it like yeah warps the piece a little bit it it like flops the piece into a like you brush it up against another piece and it like it goes oh you definitely want it on top of that like no 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 i wanted it underneath and you, it looks like it's underneath and you push place and you don't realize in the Z axis, you're like way behind where you wanted it to be. And it's like, oh, man, I don't want to fight with this. In a game that I think is best when it embraces experimentation, that's super frustrating because I found yeah. myself less willing to be like, let's see if this wonky vehicle will do. Because once you do it, you can simulate it. And I love that. I so wish cool. it would show you. I wish it showed you the simulation in the biome instead of in the like the yeah. build room. Yeah. Because I'd love to see that chaos, even though if it resets. But I love that you simulate it. And I think there'd be so much joy there in simulating wonky contraptions that like barely make it. Mm-hmm. But I was so frustrated with the build that I would just be like, this is this is the boring way to do it. Go. <laughs> I know, I right? I didn't want to do that again. And I feel like so I don't a- think the solution I think VR is a great idea, and I hadn't thought of that. Uh 
I'm not surprised <laughs> you did, but I don't think it's quite a nut ra- banjo. I almost said Ratchet and Clank banjo and Kazooie nuts and bolts mechanic that I'd want. But that game, I feel like had building really. It was really fun. It was really really fun to build wonky zany stuff in that game. And I feel like there has to be a better way than than how this game nails it. And it's just such a bummer because like I have it on PC as well. I played on PC. I tried with a mouse. I played on Steam Deck. I tried with touch controls and it was never fun. I love building Lego IRL and it never captured that. And it was it was tedious, which was just just a bummer. Tedious is the word. And it, it really is a major bummer because it gets so much other right about the Lego mm-hmm. experience. And uh, it really felt like a labor of love, the game, but man, it's labor <laughs> when you're playing it. And I, I just wanted to be able to reach in and pick up the bricks and move them. And I think, man, if they yeah. ported that to VR and let me actually do that and, and rotate things, or like grab something, rotate it, pick, use my other hand to pick up a piece, pluck it on. Like that's the, that's what I want. And it, it's a bummer. Anyway. Yeah. I think you and I are, are on the same page about this one, that it feels like a miss. Yeah, it's a bummer. Lego Brick Tales. Uh, yeah. it, it was a miss. Uh, on my playlist, the other game that I have been putting a bunch of time into is a game called Case of the Golden Idol. Uh, this is a game also I got a, a code for. Um, and it is a very much a puzzle game, uh, reminiscent of, I think, one of the great puzzle games of all time, Return of the Obradin. Um, if anybody has a memory of that game or has played that game, they know that it is a, a devilishly complex, uh, puzzle game, but, uh, its presentation is, um, deceptively simple. Uh, and that's kind of how case of the golden idol is as well. Basically, uh, you are a, uh, you, you are in the role of, of a detective sort of unnamed and un. Um, unless it happens at the end, I haven't gotten to the end, but you are, you are sort of this disembodied detective and you get a, uh, you get to visit these different crime scenes, uh, wherein murders have happened and, uh, you attempt to solve the case by, uh, scouring the crime scene for clues and then thinking about those clues and filling out a page, uh, that basically has a bunch of blanks. It, it, it'll explain the crime, uh, with a bunch of blanks. So it'll be like blank, blank took the blank and gave blank, blank the blank. And it's like, when you have to fill all that information in. Uh, and the way you do that is you collect proper nouns, adjectives, verbs from the crime scene, and, and they get uh, added to your potential list of, of uh, words that you can enter in at the end. Um, all right. The, in the it's exploration screen and a thinking screen. And the thinking screen will have several windows of information, oftentimes identifying the people that you're seeing in the scene. Uh, So you have to figure out who is who, uh, and you'll have to figure out certain other aspects of what's going on. And then a final like sentence or mini paragraph explaining the crime. And then you fill all that information in. And if you get it right, you complete the case. Uh, so the 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 exploration of the crime scene is very much a sort of point and click uh type situation where you're just scouring this very static image for clues for clickable uh, examinable things and and those can be you know clicking on people and then you got to kind of get to see the contents of their pockets 
uh, clicking on, you know, letters or, or, you know, written statements or books, and you get a bit of text that'll give you some context clues. And then other really interesting, you know, hidden things in the environment that, that you'll put together. And they're, they're very intricate puzzles. It starts uh, pretty straightforward and it gets real, real dense, real fast, uh, where you get multiple screens that you can go back and forth in a single case and things that are relating to others in very, uh, you know, outside the box kind of ways. I'm really hooked on this game. It's much more, I found it to be a little more approachable than Return to the uh, Return of the Oberdin was initially to me. Uh, that game just feels really overwhelming right away because you're dealing with time travel and like all these, you know, it, it just feels very overwhelming. It doesn't give you much. And, and these is much more straightforward. Like here's the case. It's self-contained. You don't have like tons of information overwhelming you at once. You know, the, the, the cases kind of start out slow and then get more complex as you move on. So I think it's much more uh, approachable than than Return of the Oberdin was. But I also think it's a pretty ugly game. Uh, they they go to this very uh, stylized pixel type art uh, that is actually kind of reminiscent of a color version of Return of the Oberdin. If you can recall, that game had a a um, kind of this strange pixelization of of all of its imagery. Uh, it's I not that sort game of... looked great though. I like it was like stark because it was just like mo- I don't know if monochromatic is quite the right right yeah, word, but it was it's game monochromatic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It is stark. This one, um, I, I feels unfair to say, but I, I would call ugly. <laughs> I think it is an ugly game. The characters are are, are kind of garish, and uh, every, everything. It, none, none of it really works for me. And I initially was like, I'm not going to enjoy this. I don't like looking at it. But man, it it drew me in just because a excellent steam deck game in my opinion because uh while there's a lot of small text i can just you know pull the steam deck close to my eyes to read the text but uh, it's a great game most of what you do in this game is just sit there staring at it right you're not you're not doing complex inputs all the time you're just you collect all the information in the exploration screen and then you just like look and think and try to make connections and go what how does that relate to that who is this person and uh, it's just a great, it's a great like laying in bed, laying on the couch, staring at my Steam Deck. Uh, so I highly recommend it for that. Um, and man, I I'm, I was totally drawn in. There's a there's a larger story that unfolds as you as you uh, solve cases. Um, and you know, I was proud of myself that I never used the hint system. I have not finished the game, but it's getting to the point where the cases are so difficult. <laughs> it's so intense. I'm like, man, I I hope I don't have to indulge in the hint system but at least it has a hint system um so i'm not turning to the internet for solutions but um but it's very satisfying when you figure something out and um you can actually sort of just uh some of them them you can just sort of um brute strength you know brute force the the answers where because you're just filling in blanks and you can be like well i only have six different people i could just keep plugging in names if i need to uh so are there are ways for solutions for Case of the Golden Idol. In Case of the Golden Idol, you require solutions. Solutions are things that help you progress to the next case in Case of the Golden Idol, which is a video game requiring solutions. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I, I, am, I'm, I came away really, really positive on this game. If you're the kind of person that enjoys puzzle games or, or you know, escape rooms or anything like that, 
this will, I think, really scratch that itch. It's it's clever. It makes you feel brilliant when you when you figure out the answers. Um, they've got some really fun oblique ways to connect things, and and you have to do these kind of uh, mental jumps. And as the cases go on, those get more and more intense, and you you go, man, I don't have any idea. Oh, these wonderful aha moments, you know. So it, you know, it's it's slow paced, ponderous puzzle game, but uh, I think an effective one at that. Case of the Golden Idol. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have parting gifts coming up, so stick around for those. But Imran Khan, thank you so much for being here. It's always so much fun to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. It's always fun to be on. Awesome. Uh, Tell folks where they can keep up with you and the things that you're doing these days. Uh, You can follow my Twitter at ImranZUMG. I also have a Patreon now, which is, uh, it's a pun, so I have to actually, like, say the letters out loud. But the word is pros and cons, the name of the Patreon. It's P-R-O-S-E-K-H-A-N-S. So if you go to proscons.com, it's a double pun. If you go to proscons.com, you will find my Patreon. There's one level, which is just five bucks, and it's for uh, just supporting my writing and a podcast we've got going with some former fanbite people as well. Awesome. Very, very cool. Uh, Christian Spicer, what about you? What do you got going on this week? Uh, this week is um, exciting, and you'll hear about it later. Uh, late. It does sound exciting. <laughs> it's, it's, I, there's, I can tell games. by the enthusiasm there's, in your voice how exciting it there's is. There's games, Jeff. There's games. This is, it's the most wonderful time of the year, my friend, is what, yes. um, is what this week is. And we, I look forward to talking about them when we can. <laughs> Which is not going to be for we, a long time, Christian. You know that, right? For some, not for others. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Have fun. Find <laughs> me on the Discord. <laughs> that, was, that was a waste of everyone's minute and a half. No, it was not. And you're asking me what I'm doing. That's what I, I had a thought. Uh-huh. That's what it is. And right. it's a good one. We're, we're hanging out. Okay. Uh, Twitter, I'm not on it much anymore, but you can go there. Discord, I'm there a lot. Our community's great. Come hang out. I write a newsletter about once a month, uh, long form about video games, and you can subscribe to that for free tinyletter.com slash Christian Spicer. All right. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I have uh, other podcasts, including the film cast, uh, where we talk about movies and TV shows, search for the film cast, wherever you get podcasts. Uh, I think you'll like it. I also think you might like, uh, we have concerns, which is a comedy science show. I do with Anthony Carboni, uh, talking about, uh, really interesting stuff. Uh, that'll make you laugh, I think, uh, as you learn something. It's, it's pretty cool. We have concerns.com. Also, uh, I do the uh, fan-controlled show, which is uh, our sports show, talking about fan-controlled sports and entertainment, uh, coming up on fan-controlled hoops, which is going to be absolutely wild. Absolutely wild. starting in February. And it's it's NBA Jam in real life. And, and I'm not exaggerating. It is going to be incredible. Uh, LED courts that light up and can track the ball in real time. It's un real wait until you see it uh, we're we're talking about it every week uh leading up to it and talking about other stuff and having a good time it's fun fun dudes having fun um you can find that at twitch.tv slash fan controlled sports or as a podcast or on youtube uh as well uh all right let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts Imran, do you have a uh, suggestion to help people get through their week? Yeah, so my partner and I went to a musical today called Jagged Little Pill. 
which is an Alanis Morissette-based musical. What? Amazing. actually super cool. I don't know where it's playing besides San Francisco, but if you're in San Francisco or it's playing near you, I actually recommend it. Go check it out. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. It, and I'll have to dig a little bit into this. What is is the story have anything to do with Alanis Morissette or is it just using her music to tell a completely unrelated tale? It's just using her music to tell a tale about like it's a it's a family and like the mom is like a, a pill popper and like amazing. The, the, like it's a it's a human it's a drama story, but it is it was interesting and the music is good. That's so funny. I always thought the jagged little pill was uh, a euphemism for sperm it might be i hadn't thought about it that way but it's possible uh anyway that sounds fascinating i hope that i hope that i want to see that i i I can't wait to see how they add uh work in uh ironic oh they do they do it actually well and also you want to know hits the way it should like as a big climax amazing very very cool well, that's Jagged Little Pill the musical. Uh, let's see if it's playing in your town. Christian Spicer, what is your parting gift? Carly Rae Jepsen has a new album coming out, as does Taylor Swift. There's a bunch of great new music coming out uh, here before next show-ish. So those are two to look for. And then very much being on theme as I was playing uh, Ghostbusters, and it is still spooky season uh, very much in our house. Uh, my kids and I, I showed my kiddos the OG Ghostbusters movie for the first time. Um, much like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and The Karate Kid and some of these other old movies from my youth, the original Ghostbusters movie very much holds up. My youngest described it um, as her favorite movie of all time uh, at the beginning, partway through. I don't like this movie. What's going to happen to her? Why are they being mean to her? She has feelings too. And then at the end of the movie, this was the best movie I've ever seen. I want to watch it again. So it stands the test of time. Great flick. Good performances all around. If you haven't seen it in a long time, it is worth a rewatch. It's the original Ghostbusters. Finally, your children will get my references. <laughs> no, they haven't caught up on G.I. Joe. They're still on episode 427 of the 1,000 they made. So we're getting there, though, slowly but surely. <laughs> so, but, but at least I can say, tell them about the Twinkie, and your your daughters will say, what about the Twinkie? That's the most important And, and then thing. we'll get to cats and dogs living together. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they've become or, fast friends with Greg Miller already. Like, their friendship with him is better than mine already, <laughs> um, just from this when watching. So illustrious meal represents the last <laughs> of the petty cash. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My parting gift uh, is a show... What's it on? Is it on Hulu? I think it's on Hulu. I think it's FX on Hulu. Uh, is a show called Welcome to Wexham. Uh, have you heard of this, Christian? It's like real life Ted Lasso, right? It's real yeah. life Ted Lasso! It's a documentary. Yes. yes, a documentary series about uh, Rob McElhaney and, uh, and um, Ryan Reynolds. Uh, Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Uh, partnering up and buying an English football club. And uh, trying to take it from worst to first. It's delightful. It is delightful. It is, uh, it's really wonderfully made. Obviously, it, it benefits from the charm, the inherent charm of Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney. But it's also really kind of a good documentary uh, for me as a Yank, as a, as a, as a filthy uh, soccer person who barely understands why the 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 sport has is so popular all over the world um it really makes me go oh i, I kind of get it i understand why people love 
this and why it means so much to people uh, overseas. And uh, and it, it focuses on the town uh, of Wexham uh, and and what the 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 team means to them. It's it's really heartwarming and lovely. And just as you would expect from like a, a Ted Lasso, it's it takes that that feeling, that sort of wholesome feel good feeling, and runs with that as well. But in real life, it's great. Highly recommend. Welcome to Wexham. Uh, I'm watching it on Hulu, but I believe it's an FX original. All right, we also got a listener-suggested parting gift. This was sent to us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. It was sent by Kyler. And Kyler writes, I have a parting gift for all the astronomy aficionados in the audience. It's If the Moon Were Only One Pixel. Created by animator Josh Wirth, the webpage builds itself as a tediously accurate scale model of our solar system. System solar system, that is, and is truly a work of art. The model opens with the titular one-pixel moon depicted alongside a scale model sun. Viewers can then either scroll through the solar system via mouse or click a button to zoom through at light speed, which at this scale is really more like a leisurely stroll. Throughout the model, Josh peppers in interesting factoids and amusing quips that really put the scale of space in perspective. And for folks who don't have the literal hours it would take to visit each planet at light speed, there are handy buttons at the top that allow near instant teleportation to those planetary destinations. From time to time, especially when feeling weighed down by our world's woes, revisiting this page is a great reminder of how much more there is out there. Uh, and that will be uh, joshworth.com, uh, where you can find a click to the. Uh, or excuse me, a link to the uh, If the Moon Were Only One Pixel. Thanks, Kyler. What a cool, what a cool parting gift. I love that. If you'd like to have your parting gift read on our show, send it to us. DLCfeedback at gmail.com is where you send those. Uh, we love hearing from you. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Imran Khan and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan and Zero Star for those cool bumpers. Uh, thanks to White Cube, which is Jason Sherry and T. Ryan Arnold for our theme song music. If you'd like to uh, check out swag from our show, uh, our logo on mugs and hats and t-shirts, go over to dlcswag.com. That's dlcswag.com. Thanks to Jesse Anderson, Jesse J. Anderson for sending that up. We really appreciate it. Uh, and thanks to all of you for downloading the show. We appreciate you as well, especially our patrons over at patreon.com slash DLC pod. Check out the perks, sign up if you're interested. Our topmost perk is called the hype train level patron. And those individuals get shouted out at the end of every episode, which I'm going to do right now. Okay, let's get right to it. Jason Novak, Octavian Ratsiu, it's Taylor Wiggard, and Christian Bravery, it's Jed, and Josh Peak, Peter Olberg, and Nick Strauss-Klein, it's Michael Stadler, and Michael Buck, it's Travis, and Jackson, and Soren Silk, it's Mike Lombardo, and the Spice Man Silencer, it's Yick, and Zachary White, it's Albert of the Stuff and Junction Podcast. It's 
Stu, Goss, Nate, Jenny, and Ben. It's Kevin Brazzle and Scott Hughes. Jonathan Spiceman Forever Schlepfer. Dan Palmino and Malcolm King. It's Jimmy Radcliffe and Mark Gowland. It's Mitchell Ness and Jonathan Putney. It's Will with one L. Harris. It's Chris Zacharias and Matt Bradley. Jonathan Talbert, Victor Valenzuela, Cheesy Bob and Scooby Diesel. It's Jeff Luxack and Hake Hatton. It's Adam Denby and Rob Rickman. It's Sasan. It's Riley Knox. It's Anthony Goulos and Kyle Starr. It's Dan Flanagan and Andy Joyce. It's Michael S. Relentless Rex and Matt Valdez and John Sisko. It's David Epp and Hyperboy66. Curtis from Louisville and comedian Aaron Trahan. It's Sure you can it's all the hype train pages were thank you yeah thank you all all right thanks again for listening we'll see you next week until then think about what you put out into the world make it a better place <laughs>